Hello, we are the Salon Sleuths. My name is Melissa. And my name is Leslie. And we are two women from the Pacific Northwest. We are both curious about paranormals, spirit guides, ghosts, past lives. We are suspicious about true crime, disappearances, and strange phenomenons. We are open to learning about the supernatural and all things we don't understand. Together, we're opinionated with a splash of smartass. Join us to learn. And stay curious, stay suspicious, and stay open. Follow Salon Sluice on all major podcast platforms. Imagine this, a fun night out with friends at your favorite local hangout. Karaoke, drinks, laughs. Then you head home to wrap up the evening alone when there is a knock at the door. Maybe it's your fun neighbor stopping by. Maybe not. What if the next thing you remember is waking up in the hospital and being told that you were lucky to be alive? The only thing you know is what you're being told about the confession and about the bloodstained apartment. How do you move on? How do you move forward? How do you trust others? And how do you trust yourself? You do this by telling your story. This is the story of David Keck. Hello, my name is David Keck, and on October 23rd, 2014, I was a victim of a hate crime. Some friends had called me and wanted to go to our favorite place. It's kind of like our cheers. It's a karaoke bar. And I decided to join them. I walked in and I guess a stranger saw me and he didn't like me. He didn't like the way I talked. He didn't like the way I walked, the way I dressed. Maybe he didn't like the songs I sang. But somehow a complete stranger could watch me and actually go out of his way to talk to me. All the whole time, he's planning my death. I was at the table with my friends, so I excused myself to the restroom. That's when my attacker came up and started talking to me. He showed interest in something I was wearing um, that I had actually designed. So I gave him a business card and continued to the bathroom alone. After leaving the bathroom, I joined my friends. We finished our drinks, paid our tab, and we left together. Surveillance cameras show all of this, and it also shows um, my attacker leaving three minutes later. There are no cameras outside the door, so there's no footage of what happened from there. My friends do state that they seen me drive out of the parking lot by myself. The next thing I remember, I woke up at the hospital. I couldn't even open my eyes. Everything hurt. Several years ago, um, I was in a horrible car accident that actually killed three people in my family. My brother and I barely survived this car accident. My mother and my grandmother stated that when I woke up at the hospital after my attack, I was asking for my brother, afraid that he was hurt. I thought we were in that car accident. I was reliving those moments. Little did I know, I was a victim of another tragedy. A girlfriend came to see me and she sat by the bed and she said that I just kept saying over and over that I was only trying to help him. So there came a point that the nurses had to ask everyone to leave the room. I was going to have to have a rape test. Would you believe the nurses didn't fully seal the door? And another friend walked in 
seeing me fully exposed going through the rape test because of him, because of a stranger. I keep getting violated. I keep getting embarrassed. I keep getting questions asked I don't know the answers to. I have to be told that someone, as well as foreign objects, have been inside me. My story, which was written based off of the rapist confession, was now being told on the news. The news anchor stated that I came on to my attacker sexually, and that is what led him to beat me. I couldn't believe how much of the story was wrong. But because it was on the news, the public believed it. They blamed me. I was told I should be the one going to jail simply because I went to a straight bar. I started receiving death threats. People were saying they wanted to finish the job. I was accused of doing drugs, even though there was a drug test done in the ER and it came back negative. I started to blame myself. Maybe they were right. Maybe I deserved everything that was happening to me. I received a call from the girlfriend of my attacker. She told me that he actually used my phone standing over my body and called her, confessing to what he had done. She said he told her how I was flopping like a fish out of water, and he stood over me talking on the phone, on my phone, until he thought I was dead. Months after staying with my family and attempting to recover, um, I decided I wanted to go back to my apartment. I wanted to live alone. I wanted to try to find me again. I walked in and there was blood everywhere. My handprints streaked up down the hall where he dragged me from room to room. Blood was splattered on the cabinets and the walls where he was kicking and stomping my head. I cleaned up the blood the best I could. I then went and hid knives under every couch cushion, every drawer, beside every door. I then went into my bedroom. I wanted to lay down. There was blood on every blanket and pillow on my bed. The blood had soaked through the blankets, through the mattress. I had no choice but to lay down and sleep in the aftermath of my rape so I can wake up tomorrow and face another day of discrimination. His story gets told on the news and it's blaming me. He can walk without a walker, but I can't. He knows every detail of what happened to me, and I don't. I get to deal with his actions daily. I get blamed for being raped and being victimized. And I get to live with his fingerprints all over me and all over my home. Someone asked me, what I would want to happen to him. Someone asked me if I would want him dead. And honestly, no, I don't want him physically dead. I just want him to feel like me. I want him to feel dead like me. 
My name is David Keck, and I am the host of Surviving Abuse Podcast, and this is my story. Well, David, it's great to meet you. I did read a little bit about your story, and just before you get to talking, I was heartbroken saddened. Um, obviously no one deserves to be treated like this. No one deserves to have this happen to them. What was inspiring is that you have turned this tragedy into something for other people to help other people. And you've said, you know what, I'm not going to play the victim. I'm going to show you that there's hope on the other side. There's kindness on the other side, there's love and all that stuff. So um, I just want to applaud you for that and tell you um, that 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 is how we further promote kindness and goodness and love to one another and also understanding of um, people are hu- humans are people. I don't know how to say that. Uh, we we aren't just an I don't know when you hurt someone, even if it's your words, you, you hurt them deeply. Right. Right. So, well, and I think your story can help us in so many different ways, not just with the actual thing that had happened, but everything kind of leading up to it, which I was like, I mean, I mean, I don't know, like thinking back where they're like the red flags. And it's funny because from when I heard your story, which was, was it episode one? Um, episode one is where I read the victim's impact statement. Okay. And then episode three is where I just released it. Get in. So from that compared to what I've read are totally, not totally different, but they are different. And I think like, had we had a little bit of insight, like, would we be able to avoid of this? So these are the questions I'm going to ask you. Sure. Um, and I don't know if, if that's even possible. Right. Um, but let's okay, let's first of all, let's talk about your podcast, how okay. we can find you and kind of what your focus is on that. And then let's kind of go into your story, starting from the beginning, maybe that night, sure. um, if that's OK with you. Yeah, 100 okay. percent. All right. And, and I want to start out by saying, you know, trigger warning for sure. Yes. And um, that I am 100 percent an open book. There is no question that you should tiptoe around to asking me. Uh, so, so have no fear there. Okay. <laughs> so my podcast is called Surviving Abuse Podcast. The best landing page for that would be my website, which is survivingabuse.com. And that's got the links to all the platforms. I'm uh, The podcast is released. We uh, have finished up season one. And yesterday was the first episode of season two. And season one's most focus was my story. Now, each week I would have a new guest on, but I would find ways that I could relate to share my story with them. And it wasn't necessarily to make it all about me, um, because I just wanted to bring awareness to every form of abuse, because there's endless amounts of forms of abuse but but what was so neat and the point that i wanted it to make to the the listeners is regardless of the form of abuse you went through we all have this love and bond and connection to where we can still relate and inspire and help people my motto has kind of become naturally and organically you know there's life after trauma Mm -hmm. 
And and that if, if someone asked me to sum all of this up, it would simply be there's life after trauma. Mm-hmm. And I think that David, I think every person can relate to trauma, whether it was, you know, well, it's nothing compared to what you went through, right? We all have degrees. We all know what it's like to have our feelings hurt, our heartbroken, um, being bullied, you know, even bullies are bullied, right? So we all can, re- it's something common ground that we can all relate to. Sure. So I, I can appreciate that. Sure. And and one of the comments that, that uh, you made that I really like to touch on is, you know, you, you said uh, that, may, that the trauma may not compare to mine. And, and what I want to say to people, because I've had people that I've even asked to be on my show and they've said, I would feel too bad because my story doesn't compare to yours. We cannot, and I can't stress this enough, but we cannot compare trauma. What I went through is the hardest thing that I went through. If you fell off your mamaw's porch and broke your arm and that's the hardest, most difficult thing that you've went through at that point in your life, no one can take that away from you. No one should try to take that away from you or compare it to someone else. Yeah. So, so I want that to be known. Your journey is yours and, and you deserve to heal and recover and, and get love and acceptance throughout that journey, regardless of how big or small something it may seem. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. And we can't compare, like we can't try to diminish ourselves because, well, it's not that bad or, you know, whatever. So, yes. So yeah. Why don't you start and tell us kind of your story from the beginning again it, and I'm sure your, your, your guests know, but, uh, or your listeners know, but definitely trigger warning. So I am now 40 years old and I am an open gay man um, in the South. And I luckily come from such an amazing, loving, supportive family. And I did not know hate existed. I'd seen it on TV, I'd heard about it, but I never witnessed it until seven years ago. So I have abandonment issues and I was going through a breakup. And so of course my world was ending, right? And some friends called me and it was one of their birthdays and and they were going to um, this local bar that we go to, it's a karaoke bar and it's predominantly straight but we it was our cheers everyone knew us I would go in there and I would sing Shania Twain man I felt like a woman and not think anything of it you know and everyone would just laugh and sing along with me and then buy me a beer you know and so so I went in there uh, I, I decided to go and, and join my friends and I walked in and I was confident and of course you know I dress loud I wear bright clothes I'm naturally flamboyant I've never had to hide who I am, you know? Yeah. So I would get on stage and sing funny little songs that are usually female country music songs, not thinking anything of it. And I went to uh, the restroom and surveillance cameras uh, shown that this guy stopped me um, and talked to me. Uh, th- there was obviously no audio, but it looked like a pleasant conversation. And, and just le- let me preface by saying, a lot of this is hearsay. I have no memory. Okay. Um, a lot of it is proven through uh, video surveillance. So, uh, so keep that in mind. Okay. Um, so I speak with him and uh, go to the restroom by myself. I uh, come back, walk right past him, 
join my friends. We pay our tab, we finish our cocktails, we sing one more song, and we all left together. Surveillance showed that we left together, and three minutes later, the same man that had stopped me and talked to me followed, uh, left. So three minutes later is what the, the surveillance shows. Now, my friends say that they saw me drive off. So th there's a little bit of confusion on, on how he got to my house. Um, the next thing that we know that happens is a, uh, there was a knock at my door and I lived in a, a nice apartment community and my neighbor would sometimes just randomly come over and, you know, and uh, have, a, we were all bartenders at the time. So we had crazy hours. They would come over and have a cocktail, you know, at 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night. And it was nothing. So when I got a knock at my door, I didn't think anything of it. And I opened it. Do you um, remember at this point? Do no. you remember that? Okay. No, um, I don't even remember going to the restroom. Okay. I remember being at the, uh, the bar that night after my memory was refreshed, but everything else was, is what was called on surveillance. I have no regulation. Okay. Okay. So, so I guess all of this is what is allegedly the truth that came out through, um, the police interrogation and the, uh, confession during the trial. Okay. So, so he claims that I opened the door and that he is trained military. So he had me knocked out on first hit and spent hours um, raping me with his body as well as foreign objects. Um, my apartment looked like a horror scene. He was dragging me from room to room. And you know like in those scary movies when they're dragging someone, you can see their claw marks? Mm -hmm. Like that actually really happened that the, those claw marks were in my wall. You could see the blood streaks where he was dragging me and, and it was literally room to room. So um, then he says that he thought he killed me after again, spending hours beating me. And uh, so he got my cell phone and called the mother of his children and told her what he had done. He then uh, steals my car and my credit cards. And I was, again, I was a server, so I had a couple hundred dollars cash on me. And so he took my credit cards and went bar hopping. Now, where things do get a little, what, what, what I guess we haven't really been able to piece together is if he followed me home, then why is he still in my car? So at one point he said that he came up to my car at the bar and asked me for a ride and I gave him one. And I don't know if that's the truth or not. I, I know that I've never done that before, but I don't know that I would say no. Yeah. You know, he was a clean cut guy. He was out of the military, you know, so he looked respectful, you know, respectable. Yeah. And, and so I don't know that I would say no. Um, though it also had been alleged that I had taken him home for sex. And the truth came out that that is not what happened, but I also, but I had to play devil's advocate with myself. Mm -hmm. And he was an attractive guy. I was recently single. I have abandonment issues. I was a young man, you know, if it's, but, but, but what I want to make clear 
is if that had happened, it would have been two consensual adults. And you didn't ask to be raped and injured and beat. So right. it's perfectly within your right as a human adult to consent to sex, to take someone home, to pick them up on the side of the road. Absolutely. But do you think he would have left with you not three minutes later? Yeah. You know, that again, that's one of those questions that we don't know how to put together. Now we do know um, from his, uh, the mother of his child that he was there with a friend because she had kicked him out. Apparently, uh, so so what had allegedly had happened is he was discharged from the military for drugs. He doesn't live in my town. He lives maybe like an hour away. And so the mother of his child kicked him out. She was done. He, you know, had just failed them too many times. So he called a buddy and was like, hey, I've been kicked out. Can I stay all night with you? And his friend was like, sure, but I'm going to this bar with a girl as a date. So you'll have to kind of just hang out by yourself. Yeah. So one of the questions is, did this guy give him a ride to my car to get rid or to to my apartment to maybe get rid of him to go be alone with this girl thinking he's just going to go be with a buddy. But we have surveillance that you were already in the house before he knocked on your door. So, so there's no surveillance and I'm sorry if I didn't make that clear. There's no surveillance at my apartment. The surveillance was just what happened um, at the bar. Okay. Okay. So we don't know, you don't know, and your neighbors don't know. Did you come in with him or let him in? Which doesn't matter by the way, but that's what I was going to say. We're just trying to piece the story. None of it really matters compared to like what had happened, but no. If he was in the car with you and then he tells you like through the um, police interrogation that he knocked on your door, that doesn't mean that you brought him home with you. Like it just means. And why is he changing his story to, oh, I'm coming home with him and no, I knocked on his door. That also doesn't jive. Clearly he's not telling the whole truth. Right. Yeah. So is that how he was caught was basically he called the mother of his children and then they found you. How did that all unfold? How did they find you? So um, he uh, stole my car and my money and went bar hopping. And he was covered in blood. And he went into a bar. And this kind of pisses me off, too. This actually, you know, does frustrate me toward the public and, and the way that maybe we're trained to think or, or how our minds work. Because... He um, went into this bar covered in blood and they all said, oh, we just thought maybe he was a hunter and had been out hunting. Well, it was October. It was the week of Halloween. I don't know if that's hunting season or not, but I would think that it was cold. I don't know. You can (laughs) hunt. I think, well, here you can hunt for deer. So who goes going into places with blood all over you? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So then he starts bragging about the um, homosexual that he just killed, except for that that is not the word he used. And um, some of the patrons uh, complained on him, and the manager kicked him out of the bar. That's it. Didn't think, should, should I call the cops and have this looked at? Like, there's blood on this guy. You yeah. Know? And so the manager of the bar was like, well, we just thought he was just trying to act like he, you know, was this big, cool guy. You know? Tough guy. Tough yeah. guy. Yeah. So and so at that point, he has a good buzz and he wrecks my car. 
and cops come to the scene. So when the cops come to the scene, he's got my ID, my credit cards, my car registration, and nothing matches him. So he confesses to murder. Because um, at this point, he thinks that he's killed me. So he tells the cop that he has killed me, and the cop asked him, you know, what his motive was, and he said that I sexually propositioned him, and that is uh, why he killed me, is because the gay guy was hitting on the gay man, or the straight man. Right. So, it took 18 hours for them to find my body. Mm-hmm. Um, during that 18 hours, there was lack of oxygen, so it, that's what as well as the impact of being kicked into walls and stuff, but the lack of oxygen is also what played into the temporary amnesia and memory issues that I had. So the reason it took 18 hours for them to find my body is because I had recently moved and oh. hadn't had my ID or anything changed. Okay. So when they impound my car, luckily they start searching my car, and in the pocket of the back seat, they found the lease to my apartment. So at this time, it's a new day. This happened on a Wednesday, so now it's Thursday, um, probably lunch-ish time, I guess. And they go to the apartment complex, and they go into the manager, and they're like, hey, is there a guy, David Keck, that lives here? You need to take us to his apartment. We're investigating a potential homicide. And the lady at the apartment was like, oh, why do you want to talk to David? He would never hurt anybody. God love her. And he was like, no, I'm afraid David is the victim. So she immediately takes him to my apartment. My apartment door was open. And uh, they walk in and my body was laying in the kitchen floor. And I was still unconscious. He, at this time, is very sure that I have died. So he goes to put a blanket over me. He's making his phone calls and my foot moves. And I slowly start coming to. And my uh, grandmother started calling my phone. Because when my grandfather passed away 12 years ago, I made a vow that I was going to talk to my grandmother every day to make sure that she was good. And so every day I call her at the same time. I was missing all these phone calls, and this was not like me, obviously, mm-hmm. so she was blowing up my phone, so this detective answers the phone and says, um, David's been attacked, you all need to come to the hospital. So, uh, my family, you know, rushes to the hospital, they rush me, to, uh, the, the, the ambulance rushes me to the hospital, and... They said that when they walked in that, you know, my pillows were covered in blood. I was not getting the attention that I needed. And one of the nurses was overheard hearing them say, well, if this guy's bringing people home for sex, he probably has AIDS. And so they didn't want to change my bloody pillows because they are assuming I have AIDS. So but my- we, we know how to take care of that. We know how to deal with that. This is not... Right. Right. This is not 1980. Yeah, exactly. And this is not what my family needs to hear either, because at this time they're saying David doesn't. So, so I woke up and my eyes were swollen, but I could see enough. And I saw my mom and my grandmother and I thought they were the nurses. And I kept asking for my brother and they were, 
a little weary of why I was asking for my brother, you know, I mean, he and I are close, but they were like, you know, why him and not the mother that's in front of you? And then they started realizing that, you know, I, I'm not really registering. And so finally, when I do start a, able to like form a few sentences that are understandable, my younger brother and I were um, hit by a drunk driver when I was 11 and he was nine. Um, our car accident was the first one in Tennessee to be uh, considered a vehicular homicide by a drunk driver. Like all those laws were passed my family saying because it killed three people in my car. It killed my grandmother, my great grandmother, my great aunt. Well, my brain went all the way back to back. asking my brother because I thought we were in that car accident again. Oh, wow. You know, the brain works. That's so crazy. Wow. Like, so when you were in that moment, you actually thought you were the 11 year old you. Yes. Okay. Wow. Do you remember that? Um, vaguely, when when I was told that, it sounded familiar. What I do remember is I kept asking for Anthony, which is the guy that I was dating and had just broke up with. And I was asking for him so much, or saying his name so much, that the detective started to wonder, was he a part of this? Part of it. You know? Part of it. Yeah. Um, he was, he was not, he, you know, my family called and he came to the hospital. Of course he was not, you know, a part of that, but at this time, and I did not know this of course at the time, but, uh, the hospital was filling up with media and my family refused to talk to anybody. They didn't know what had happened. Yeah. I, at this point they thought that I had, um, been just someone was trying to carjack me. And so, um, uh, the, the media was trying to get a story and they couldn't. So they left the hospital and uh, the one of the nurses came in and asked everyone to leave the room because they had to do um, the rape exam on me. They were so thoughtless with this that they didn't even seal the door to where one of my friends who arrived at the hospital a little later walked inside with me completely exposed going through this rape exam. I was violated all over again. So it's just continuously happening, you know? And so then the next day I wake up to my face being all over the media. The uh, media went to the police station and got a copy of his confession and made a news casting report or, or whatever um, based on his confession. And his confession was David sexually propositioned me, so I beat him up. How and did they get the story initially to even try to go to the police station? How did they even hear about this? I honestly don't know. I think it's one of those things where, you know, when you see in the movies and, and like the, these news stations have like their inside people or they have like yeah. those radios that they listen to about different crimes that are happening. And this was something that was, it was going to be a big story in Knoxville because Knoxville hasn't really went through that. Yeah. We don't have a lot of big crimes here. There, there's been, um, there's one murder that is known as like the worst murder in history uh, of Knoxville, okay. uh, but but as far as we know, I'm the biggest, harshest hate crime, potentially hate crime story. So, um, so so they go and get a copy of his confession, and they they 
release to the media that, you know, pretty much the story pretty much sums up as gay man goes to straight bar, takes straight man home for sex and gets beat up. They don't talk about the rape. They don't talk about me being violated and me being beaten for hours. And, you know, it's he th- this little gay boy has is crying about a black eye. They don't know that I couldn't walk without a walker for months. Like, I was having to go to his trial in court on a walker, you know? Like, none of, the, none of that was mentioned. So, it I... It really turned it around and made you, you yeah. the bad person. Victim you, blaming yeah. is what we call that, victim it blaming. It is so terrible. Yeah. So, yeah. so this man, to make matters worse than David, you had, not that it matters, but he was a black man, too? He was not. Oh, okay, okay. All right. No, I, was, I feel right. like that, that man may not have been straight like he was struggling his own well that's what i was gonna say but i don't yeah no expert but clearly he was intrigued enough well and i think he was angry about it he was yeah it is what it sounds like and then he just took out all that anger and frustration and every little disgusting thing out on the on you on you yeah yeah. And this, this is my opinion on that. And yeah. again, I'm going to say this is strictly my opinion, okay? Yeah. yeah. Um, I do know that a lot of rape cases are not about attraction. It's about power. Um, I don't think that that was one of the case. I don't think that was the case with this man. I, again, am an open book. And the reason I'm an open book is because this falsified story became public to where I had no choice but to become an open book because I immediately had to go into, you know, cleanup mode. I had to to clean things up, you know, you all were talking about blaming the victim. How many times have we heard of a woman getting raped and saying, well, her skirt was really short or she was showing too much cleavage. I don't give a darn. (laughs) Correct. You know, like, or she was on drugs. She was high. She was drunk. She, you know, was asking for it. I mean, yeah. I don't care if you have been invited inside someone's body for 20 minutes. And within that, within that 20 minutes, they say, you know what? I changed my mind. Get out. And you don't. It's yeah. right. Yeah. I don't care if you all been married for 20 years yes. and you all are being intimate. And at any point here, she says, get out of my body and you don't. It's right. Period. Yes. You know, I don't care what you're wearing. I hate that. Yes. <laughs> but we do too. 100%. So I do think with him coming from a small, um, a, a small Southern County, I, I think that he is gay and that I walked in the room and I was everything that he hated about himself and that he's seen me getting attention He's seen that I had friends. He's seen that I didn't give a damn what anyone thought about me. And and that the thoughts people did have of me were positive, good, nice thoughts. Or they just didn't talk to me. <laughs> that simple. And I think that he hated that. Yeah. Well, that you got to live your authentic self and people loved you for that. Right. 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 So clearly he wasn't a regular at this place, right? No, no, because you you probably know this, like as a bartender, it's always the people that aren't the regulars that cause the problems. 
always. Yes. So I had to do damage control because I, within a week, I was receiving, I had received, and I'm, uh, the numbers I'm telling you are ballpark numbers, but my attorney per the courts had to run um, this report through social media because I got, in a week, I got um, over 2,000 uh, messages, private messages. Um, 300 of them were negative, but in the span of 2,000, not bad, especially with what the media was releasing, you know, right. the story they were telling. Right. Yeah. And, uh, but over 50 of them were death threats of people wanting to find me and finish the job. I became famous in a small town. People would drive by my house and, uh, or my family's home. And obviously I wasn't staying in my apartment and, uh, and we're taking pictures and we just sit out there and wait for us to come out. And we didn't know if it was someone just, if it was a Karen yeah, <laughs> or if it was Billy down the road that wanted to finish the job. Yeah. So the detectives had to start putting people at every entrance to my family's home, uh, day in and day out until that died down. Do you feel like it's fair to say that he equally could have been getting messages? Um, I, Honestly, I've never thought about that. Because I'm, I'm guessing there's a lot of supporters out there who could have easily also done death threats to him. And, you know, I'm, I'm not because not everybody is evil like him. There's people that want justice and there's people out there that are willing to fight for that. So I'm, I was just curious, like that piece of crap probably didn't even have maybe he didn't even have social media. I'm guessing he probably also got messages you're, you're, I've never, I don't know how my mind didn't work that way, but yeah. I, uh, I haven't thought about that, but you're probably right. Now, he probably that, wouldn't share that though. He is not, he's not going to share, he's not going to share his weak part. Yeah. So we won't ever know that information. Yeah. I hope he's still getting nasty messages. <laughs> you know, well, I mean. So what did happen? What is yeah. the outcome of the trial and where is he? So, and um, So luckily the truth started piece by piece coming out in the trial. And however, it was election year uh, for judges. And when the media started releasing the true story of the confessions, the judge called and had them take down every single story other than the very first one that showed me, because this is also during the time that the uh, gay rights and marriage and all that was, was going strong. And so they wanted it swept under the rug. So um, he got uh, sentenced to prison and, for 10 years. And then on my birthday, four months later, still on a walker i get a phone call from a number that i don't recognize and i answer it and this nice lady says you know hey this is so and so with knox county police department letting me know that your attacker is um setting foot on free soil today and i said no you've you're you're doing it wrong you're letting the wrong person go this isn't right and she said well let me call you back so she calls me back and she said, David, I'm sorry, but he's getting released on good time. He never even made it to prison. He's been in county jail. And I said, how in the hell is he getting good time when I'm still on this damn walker and I've yet to have good time? I've yet to get any days given back to me from what I've missed 
and I've had to drop out of school. I've had to give up my home. My nephews were little kids at the time and they would always see Uncle David and want to run up and I would grab them and throw them up in the air. When they would see me, they would want me, they would run up and want me to do that and I couldn't. I had to turn them away crying and upset with me because I couldn't sit them down and tell them about the monster that actually is alive in this world. Yeah. And, and that, that oh, by the way, is out on the streets. Right. So um, he did end up violating his probation about a year and a half, two years later. And um, he went to county jail and never made it back or never made it to prison and re was released again on good time um, around October of this year. So uh, I will say that at least my family and I got to hear the truth. Uh, my supporters, the courtroom was full of supporters and they got to hear the truth of him saying that he saw me in public. I am a smaller guy and I've, this is the most I've ever weighed. I think I weigh 180 pounds now. Um, but I was like 130 pounds then he said, I, I was, uh, I look like an easy target and that I had a lot of money. So he was able to have me knocked out on first hit with his military training and, um, and, but he snapped and, but that I never sexually propositioned him that I had no idea of what was coming. Has he ever apologized? So there's a restraining order and he is not supposed to talk to me. Um, however, when, uh, he got out of, uh, out of jail and I heard about it, I messaged him on Facebook and, I didn't think that he would read it uh, or, or he would respond to it, but he did. And then he freaked out after a couple seconds of conversation and was like, this violates my probation. This can send me back to jail. Uh, just when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply know that I'm sorry and uh, that uh, that's the last but then I hear people tell uh, me that they know him or know friends of him and, th and that he talks about if I that if he ever runs into me he will have a hard time not finishing the job do you whoa 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 sorry Leslie I you guys you are in the same town do you worry that you'll run into him so he did not live in the same town at the time and then when he was released, he moved around, th he moved about three miles away from me. I um, found this out and absolutely, I still to this day, when I pull up to a Walmart or a grocery store or a gas station, I have to give myself a pep talk of David, you can do this. You know, he, he won't make this mistake again. He's trying to sound like Billy Badass, you know, to his buddies by talking this stuff. But it's because it's been exposed now to some people what has actually happened. So, of course, he's trying to act bigger and badder then and and that it's not going to happen. Um, but then, of course, that's when PTSD kicks in. And I'm like, is this something that I'm just trying to trick myself into believing just to have that few minutes of comfort so I can go inside and get a Coke and a burger? You know, it. Yeah. It. it what has saved my life, ladies, and is is therapy. 
and I'm such a firm believer and advocate of therapy. I think even the best therapists need a therapist. I still, every Monday, um, to this day, every Monday, I go to sexual assault group therapy with Helen Ross McNabb, and they're amazing. I could very well have seen me turning to drugs or alcohol to find some kind of escape. But because I have such an amazing family and support team, what really breaks my heart, girls, is I know so many gay people that I've seen sitting at a bar on the holidays by themselves because they didn't have a family to go to. Mm -hmm. If this would have happened to them, they would have laid there and died because they wouldn't have anyone to prevent that from from keeping them from for fighting with them no grandma to keep calling right yeah you know? they just would have stayed quiet and not said anything yeah right. they would have just right. been living with this like right do you think it's easier or harder for you to tell your story because you don't remember it that's a great question i um i, I want to say that this is the hardest thing that I have went through, right? And if I've survived this, it's going to take something big to get me, <laughs> right? And then, and then God threw COVID in there, and I was like, "Oh shit!" You're <laughs> One of the problems that I do run into with telling my story is where I don't know the facts. So many people want to say, well, what about this and what about that? And those questions are fine. Play devil's advocate with me because that's going to be what gets me thinking, right? And I'm open to explore all those options. I'll be the first to tell you, him raping me would have been, a, it would have, I would have willingly probably, I would have willingly had sex with him. I, I can say that. Had he yeah. been that good guy that was also consensual <laughs> yeah he didn't need to beat you and knock the shit out of you right and, yeah. And yeah he just needed a good time and yeah. no one know about it fine what right. happens in my bedroom is my business you know right. what I mean? he could have tried out the goods right and yeah. so i openly and willingly say that i say that to my family i say that to my friends because i will play devil's advocate in both sides no matter what, I didn't deserve what happened to me. And David, none of that matters. Right. None of that matters. Right. So Leslie, to answer your question, I really don't know. I do know that what I run into is where sometimes when people will question my story of, well, I heard this or, or on one episode, you said this, I always try to let people know that I might be looking at something from a different angle. This, you know, you all might say something to me today that I have an episode on three weeks later and say, you know, this was brought to my attention and what if, yeah. And so I want people to know that I'm always going to play devil's advocate. I don't know the truth. And what is terrifying to me is someone out there. There's this monster out there that does know the truth. He knows my truth. Mm -hmm. And he was the one that had people write my story for me based Mm -hmm. on his story. And I'm trying to create my own, you know, and with as many facts as I can. Yeah. Yeah. And, and unfortunately you had to use his stories, his truth to kind of educate what you maybe think happened, but honestly, he's, he's again, getting some part in that, unfortunately. Um, But that's all you have. You know, and I went through this, Phase, you know, the, the, this phase of my life where I became very depressed. I 
would not wear color anymore. I didn't go spray tan anymore. I tried to not talk as much. I wanted to be hidden. Dull your sparkle is what we call that. Yeah, brilliant. And I lost my faith in God. Mm-hmm. And and I started thinking, you know, if all these people think that there's something wrong with me, then there has to be. And I forgot about the thousands that trump the few that know that there's nothing wrong with me, that knows right. that I didn't do anything wrong and that I'm just fine the way that I that I am, you know. Right. But I went through this dark place to where I thought, I can't tell you how many times I laid in bed and cried thinking this dude had one job and it was to kill me and he failed at that. One more kick and I wouldn't have to go through this. Mm-hmm. And thank God now, <laughs> you know, that that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of glad that I went through that because that's what woke me up to mental health. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying before, I know so many gay people that would have laid there and died because they don't have the support that I have. And so if something like this had to happen, then thank God it happened to someone like me because I have the support team to tell the story and to take the hate that'll come with it and the, and the crap that will come, the ignorance that will come with it. And, and I have the education now through therapy and the love and support of everyone that know that, that I, I, I'm not going to get back into that place. And if I can just touch and save one person and the outcome of stories that I've had of people have been overwhelming, you know, in, in a great way. Well, and also David, the, the thing that I feel like we need to get to is a place where Um, and I'm not diminishing your story, but the perpetrator, if we get to a place where if he, whatever feelings he was having, he could get mental help for them, whether it was extreme rage and anger and violence, right? Because we know that that happens in the military too. There's people that have definite rage, or if he was struggling with his own sexuality, I personally want to live in a world where everyone's free to be who they are. And I don't believe that it's a choice. Um, But how do we get, and and unfortunately I live in the Northwest and this happens here too, as much as we're pretty progressive and, and you think, I do think unfortunately of the South as being less uh, accepting of the lgbtq (laughs) what's that we're always the last to get it It don't matter if it's new recipes acceptance tolerance fashion we're always the last to get it (laughs) well i i i i think that's a misnomer because i do know that we have this problem here in droves and it happens everywhere i just don't know how And I guess the last four years have been a really good example of how to get people to wake up and think for themselves and pay attention. Um, 
so I'm, I, I guess where I'm leading to is that you are doing some great things now. You're really trying to um, take what happened to you and say, okay, now what am I going to do with this? How am I going to change the world? And you're changing the world one little bit by a t- at a time, right? Which will make a big thing. So can you talk to us about where your journey has taken you since? Because it sounds like you've been married, which is really wonderful. So you have somebody new in your life. Um, Tell us how and what you're doing with this. Sure. So one thing that I do want to say that will lead into this, and this was something that came through training um, and therapy, is if this man did this to me, Odds are, in most cases, an abuser has been abused. So I, people were leaving negative comments about him on my page, you know, like cursing him. And, and I made a post um, that said, please don't do this. Please, please don't use my platform for that because this is someone's son. He had two children at the time, I think. Um, they are also victims. Mm-hmm. You know, we, I feel like we are all victims of our environment Mm -hmm. and we're only as good as our leaders. Mm -hmm. And we don't know what has been put on his plate. That does not justify (laughs) what he did by any means. However, he has probably experienced something now where I think that we fell us as an, as a society is if we let it, if, if there was better awareness toward mental health, to where especially men didn't feel like they had to suppress it and hide it, mm-hmm. then they would get treatment for it versus getting all this pent up tension where they then have some form of rage. Mm-hmm. If, if they would have told me, if the courts would have said, look, we're putting him in jail for four months. That's all we have room and time for. But during that four months, he is going to get daily rehabilitation skills. He, we're going to get him ready to be back into society. We, he is going to be seeing a therapist day in and day mm-hmm. out. We are going to get to the core of his problem and put him back into society for him to be the father, the son, and the neighbor that he should be. Fine. Do it. 100% yeah. do it. But the reason I wanted him to do his whole time is because that's not what our judicial system does. We are not rehabilitated. Yeah. No. In a lot of countries, you go to jail one time. That's it, mm-hmm. you know, because they teach you. Mm-hmm. So I, um, I think that if there was more awareness, then, then we can stop that. I try to find a positive in everything. And one thing that I think, one of the positives that I can find in COVID is I feel like there's been more awareness to mental health and mm-hmm. self-care. Mm-hmm. And, and and so that is a positive I try to take away from it. Mm-hmm. And th- that also allowed me to have time to, you know, quarantine. And during quarantine, I was like, what am I going to do with myself? And I thought, you know, what what is my dream? What does this new David want to do? And and I thought, you know, I want I want to change things. And I never felt like I truly got to share my story. And I thought, you know, if I do a podcast, I can, I will get to tell my truth. Mm-hmm. It might not be, you know, odds are you have his truth, my truth, and the real truth is somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. But from what I know and from what I can say, 
this is my truth and that's the story I want to share because I want it to be known that I might be gay and you might not like that, sir, but I'm human. Mm -hmm. And what about your son? That might Mm -hmm. be different. Mm -hmm. You know, what if this was him? And so I started doing my podcast and I wanted to show all forms of abuse and to tell my story through it. And, and it's been so therapeutic every day. I'm in a different interview or interviewing someone and it's my therapy and I need it and I want it. And I've had a couple of negative things being said of, Oh, well this has happened to you. Now you're trying to profit, make fun uh, and make money from it. Here's the thing. Yes. Go do that, David. You go for it. You can do it. You do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want to build my own empire. Absolutely. If I can make money for, for something that's happened to me, that's going to help me help other people. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, luckily my family is, is blessed, but I had bills and I was no longer working. I was a bartender in college. How much money do you think I really had sitting in the bank at the time? Right. Mm -hmm. My family, my, my car that I had paid off, I had a nice Lexus that was paid for. I'm now having to get a new car, which means I'm having to get a car payment. Mm -hmm. I'm having to pay to break my lease out of this apartment. I have medical bills. I am my uh, prescription. I was on zero medication. I am now on like six different medications a day. That's $700 a month. It costs by the time. So when I was having to go through this victim awareness thing, yeah. um, for five years, I was having to go like every few months, like give receipts and get reimbursements and stuff. It was um, $37,000 that my family spent out of my inheritance for medication to help keep me alive. So if I can tell my story and make that $37,000 back, you better freaking believe it because it was not his to take from me. No. Plus interest, my friend. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so, so of course I've had, you know, a few little comments like that, but for the most part, it's been good. Like one of my favorite stories is this guy called me and he said that he accidentally came across my story and that he listened to it and was like, holy shit. He's not talked to his brother in years because his brother's gay. And he saw that story and was like, that could have been my brother. And I could have went this whole time without talking to him because he's gay. Yeah. And um, they actually still email me and send me pictures mm-hmm. where uh, the gay brother and partner and the straight brother and fiance are at drag shows together. <laughs> I love that. Good. And, and so to have this straight man message me and say, the way you woke me. Yeah. You know, that right there. If, if from that moment on, if someone said you can never release another episode, you can never tell your story again, I would feel like I've accomplished, you know, it yeah. was such a cool. Yeah, that is really cool. And, you know, it does strike me that, um, your story isn't even, doesn't even have to have the component of you being gay in it to right. be a tragedy. Right. right. So there's so many, so much of your story could be a man and a woman or, or a woman, woman, or, you know, like it, it, it is, it is one factor we have to fix in the world. Right. And yet it's, it encompasses everyone. Every one of us can be attacked. 
and not well, only just because of our sexual orientation. And that's what I was saying in the very beginning. There's so many different ways that you're helping people. Yeah. And like what Melissa was just saying, that could help us as women going in, we could be attacked by anybody, but like, what are the signs that we can look for ahead of time? Um, I think that those things are important. And I think by being, you are a gay man, you did reach other people who weren't, who like, like came together with their family members because of this big divide. And they're, I mean, it's really, it seems silly because it's, that's not even what the point of living is. The whole point of living is just experiences and meeting people. And, and, and honestly, like we just, we have two girls that just moved in. Um, they're two lesbians, right? I was like super excited. They're in my phone as my new best friends. <laughs> we live in a very small community. You're going to be that lady. You're going to be the lady who's like, can you be friends with me? <laughs> and Michael's like, can't you just refer to them as their names? Why do you have to say that? And I'm just because our community needs it so bad. And Melissa knows what community we live in a very sheltered, very like small. And I'm like, it is so important that they're here. Like to me, I'm, I just, I'm excited. They have a a little girl with another one on the way. And what that will do for our community is huge. And I'm just so excited that I'm like, I live across the street from them. I can, I can watch what they're going to do for us. Yeah. But you also have to realize that just because that's their preference, sexual preference, that they don't maybe want to be the token ladies in the family. So we can't changing and opening their eyes to people like, and not even like for them to change their mind, but to just to be accepting of everybody and based on who they are and not like who they're married to or who they're engaged. You're saying it's it's one of those things where, you know, when things become the norm, how do we, things how do we bring things to become normal and it's to talk about it and to have it in your face you know i mean i can remember in the light right i remember growing up how it was i would hear people have such issues with interracial couples you know and now you don't really hear that anymore because we've seen it a lot because finally the interracial couple moved in next door and it became a part of the norm of going to the mailbox and seeing an interracial couple. And so then, you know, then you realize that, Oh wait, they're human too. They have feelings too. They're, they're great too. You know? Well, David, I just read on Sunday, um, much to your story that the, you know, the, the, kid that played with will smith on the prince of bel-air he was the rich brother or the cousin so yes carlton yes he married a woman um that is white and they are being hated they are being discriminated against and apparently he has struggled throughout his life because people took his character of being a rich black man um and even though yeah, he was an actor, but he wasn't Carlton from the rich dad on the show. Right. And they, they, they made him kind of like the show blackish. They made him whitish. And then he married a white woman. And I read some of the horrible comments that people were making about his family, about his kids, about him and his wife. And I thought, really, this is 2022 and we're still having these comments. Who, who posted this? Right. Right. Like, 
I can't wrap my mind around that. I can't either. I, I really can't. And, and um, you made me think of something else that you had said about that. And I think I'm gonna have to come back to it because I literally can't believe we're still having these conversations. No, no. That's why we have shows like this is to like kind of open the eyes to the, some of the people that um, are open to it. There are a lot of people because of their foundation of who they were as children, it was so strong in their parents. They were, it's kind of like they were raised that way and raised to believe that. But then there are people who, um, we're raised that way, but they're still kind of open and it takes the right story for them to change that. We could talk all day long, but we do have to wrap it up. I, but I do have two things I want to ask you sure. and I'm really ADD. So I have to try to remember what that was, but the first one was knowing that he really, you said he got four months in the County jail, then he was released. And then he, he did go back just to County jail, but not like, would you, based on what you know now and and the past would what would you would have wanted for him like sentence wise would you wanted him to like finish out those 10 years because as we know in the system he's not actually getting the help that he needs what would make you feel like justice has served you if you could change it is a great question um I have a hundred different answers because, you know, my mind is going to change per my mood. If our system was rehabilitating, that's what I would want. I want him to be rehabilitated. I don't think it's going to matter if he's in jail or if he's outside. I, he's not going to change unless he wants to change. And I'm hoping that if jail didn't teach him any lessons, that him going back home to his family, because his mom has reached out to me and said, this is not how we raised him. Um, his, the mother of his child had reached out to me and said, this is not who I want raising my children. What if one of our kids are gay? Mm -hmm. And so, so maybe him going back home, maybe they're able to wake him somehow, mm -hmm. you know, what I would want to where I could feel like I won would be my victim statement. I was terrified when it was time to read it in court, I had a judge who I didn't know tell me that I could stand up in a room full of strangers that are half his family and friends that know my face and is going to hear every vulnerability, every part of me and my new developed fears and traumas. And so I chickened out and I folded up my letter and put it in my pocket. And I said, I just want this to be over. I'm going to focus on the good. And I turn around, and I sat down. What I want is for the courts to say, call me when you're ready. When you are ready to face this man and read that statement to him, you get that. Because I would call them right now and I would be right at that jailhouse or courthouse. I'll be locked up in that room with him and I would read him my letter. I wouldn't have to read it. I know about heart, staring him dead in the eyes and then I can walk away and he can go back to his life and I will go back to mine. That's when I feel like justice will be done. That's not going to happen, unfortunately. But that if, if I could pick an outcome with this, it would be that. Yeah. Victims, the, the attackers are protected more than the victims. Okay, my other question is, and you 
you wouldn't remember this because it was part of that night, but you had mentioned that you had made something that you were wearing and perhaps that he was coming. What was that thing? What did you make that you were wearing? It was um, a necktie knot. It's a detachable necktie knot because I love ties, but I cannot get that perfect Windsor knot. So I designed one and had um, a 3D molding of it made and covered it in fabric and was able to attach it to my tie to where it looked like I had the perfect knot, but I could the knot would be a different style and, and pattern and color than the rest of the tie. And so it's what always popped and it looked like it was tied. I was actually, my first outing by myself um, after my attack was going and auditioning for Shark Tank. I was gonna say, are, are you selling that? Did you get on it? like? No, they didn't. They didn't take anyone from Tennessee, unfortunately. Um, and I was, I got so, I do have it patent, okay. um, but I got so caught up in my recovery that I just was not able to focus on it. And okay. it's time I, to go back and do that. I, I, I'm starting to get inspired with it again because people I think have you're onto something, David. I, I don't know, and I think like to like kind of full circle, like you started yeah. with this. You've done all of this work. Let's finish it by like bringing that back. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Well, thank you. I love that. That, that actually even, I might have to work on that tonight. Yeah. yeah. So I love like full circles. I love when things like kind of come together. And I know that circle won't be closed until he hears your victim statement. But, and I, the other thing I, I find that is kind of cool about you is you never mention this guy's name. Like you, you're not blasting it out there. You're not trying to like get revenge or because trust me, there's plenty of people out there that would get it for you. 100%. 100%. And I, and I've, I always thought that was kind of cool. And, and everything that I've been listening to, I mean, I think I'd have to dig around to actually find this guy's name. Yeah, I probably I, wouldn't have to dig too hard, but I, I feel right. like I, and I think that's honorable yeah. from you to be letting him like kind of live his life figure things out we like heal his own wounds right you know even though like he not yeah. him. my goal is to not get revenge but my goal is to write my story and i'm still writing my story i will every time i have a guest on i let them know that their their attacker's name is not welcome yeah that they can to them as they want and if you notice in some of the titles I try to make the title based on like uh, one of them is based uh, it says uh, surviving a monster's abuse and it's because as a as a child she was talking about he just looked like that he was the monster yeah. and and so that's why I named it that because th this is not about blasting anyone else this is giving the victims a platform to share their story to find their resources to help themselves it's not about bringing attention to the bad guy I think it's really great to meet you David I've been looking forward to this um and I think Melissa even being blindsided by my instant hey we have an interview today great by me you know, I think this is just exactly what we need in our show and starting the new year. And so you will be our first episode of the year. And I think this is a great way to Yay. start. And we end every show by saying we want you and we want our listeners to stay curious, stay suspicious and stay open. Because just like you, we think having a community that is open to new things that is suspicious of things that may not make sense to us and just beliefs that people may have or being suspicious of the man 
you know, at the bar or whatever, and also just always being curious. So you've brought so everything. Yeah. You've been being available. Yeah. You've just brought some really wonderful things. I think to our listeners today about, um, yourself and being so vulnerable and authentic that, um, hopefully you have opened up other people. So we thank you. 